Hello, I'm Tommy K. Johnson, author of The Taste of Time. I am Alexander Christian, author of By the Hand of Dragons. I'm Victoria Wilder, author of Lullaby of the Lilith. I'm Ellen Bennett, author of B-Sides and Other Misheard Lyrics. And we are Voices of Color. And today we have a very special guest, Miss Stella Williams. Hi, I'm Stella Williams. I am a booktuber, publisher under my company, Serpentine Creative, as well as the author of as well as the author of the Morris Men series and my latest release, Ferocious. And I write paranormal romance with a commitment to diversity. Thanks. Awesome. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about mood. mood. And first, like usual, I want to get the definition from you guys. What do you define mood as? For me, mood I think- is, I guess, the atmosphere, like just kind of the feeling of what's going of whatever scene you're in, just how it makes your reader feel, probably based on the words that you use to describe certain things. Yeah, I kind of look at it as the uh, the unofficial setting, the undefined uh, characteristic of the time and place. Mm. You mean like something that you can't necessarily, that's not concrete, but you just feel it, like you can't really put a finger on it, but you know it's there? Well, I mean, uh, you can lead into it just like um, she was the only one in the diner, which made sense because it was four o'clock and it was raining. And on this side of Chicago, this time of year, no one wanted to be out anyway. You have just created this, um, you know, this hostile, unfriendly, lonely environment, and you've not directly stated any of that. Right. Yeah, that was actually really cool. Like, I felt that scene. Like, I saw it. Ooh, thank you. So I think you guys are hitting it definitely on the head. Um, V, you said atmosphere, which is spot on, and it's the emotional setting, which was definitely part of Alex's example. So you can inform your mood through theme, um, tone, diction, like V was saying, and pretty much any other literary um, element that you want to use in your writing, you can inform your mood. So you guys, how do you guys create mood in your own writing? Um, I don't know if I create mood so much as the mood creates me. Um, I don't write my sex scenes unless I'm, I'm personally in the mood for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's not like a thing that I really think about so much as um, how I feel is basically what goes into my writing. I like that. I have to be extremely deliberate. <laughs> the way I do my outline is I'll you know do the beginning, the middle, and end, the big beats that I need to hit in the story, and then I'll fill in the spaces in between them. And uh, once that's done, I'll go back in and I'll add things that are missing. So I might introduce a you know romantic thread that I completely forget over the course of the next month of writing the book. You know what I mean? So I'll go back in and I'll make sure that that, that thread has some very poignant moments to uh, define that relationship. So for me, mood is I would 
take the intentions of the characters. For example, if uh, uh, um, this girl has been feeling neglected and she wanted some quality time and she was going to make that happen no matter what, uh, we would kind of take it from her perspective. She would force them into a secluded environment. It would be very quiet. It would be very small. You know what I mean? So it, it's all very intentional for me. If I just let the story lead me, I end up with a thousand untied strings at the end. So I have to be very disciplined. Mm. I like to use my setting to create my mood. So I think at one point I mentioned that I like for my characters to move from setting to setting in my books as much as possible. I like to keep some sort of physical movement happening. And then that allows me to change kind of what's happening with their moods. So like if my characters are in my book, Lullaby of the Little Two, they spend a lot of time in the in a forest. And depending on why they're in that forest, um, there will be different things like you'll hear certain, you'll hear wolves when it's kind of eerie, or you'll hear the sound of the nearby village when it's a little bit kind of light and she's like learning about the environment. And so like you're hearing um, markets, marketers yelling and horses and stuff. And instead of it's being kind of dark and scary, it's the same location, but the, I guess, the details of that location are different depending on the mood I want to portray. For me, like, I kind of sort of, um, I figure out what it is that I'm trying to portray. Um, I was thinking of a story that I wrote in particular, the scene you wanted, in which the, the main character, she's very detached from what's going on. So I took great care to uh, sort of set the scene, um, the the leaves on the trees, uh, the people playing golf irresponsibly and throwing the ball into the ocean, um, how uh, people were like taking video of the moment. Like she was just very, like instead of being excited about what was happening, she was aware of what was happening, but she was just very detached from it. So I was trying to, set that and have that her overwhelming her her overwhelming mood sort of be that um be that tastemaker um it, without describing how it was that she felt so that's how i set mood i will often use mood to mislead my readers because i am a trickster and i like uh to fool you guys so basically, if I want to make you feel like the story is going one way, I will definitely play with the mood, play with the setting, um, with the things that the characters are saying, the dialogue, the overall undertone of everything that's going on in the scene. And then in the next, I'll shift it and make you feel like, oh, wow, uh, it was just like this. So why is it like this now? And then there's that sense of confusion, and suspense. And you're gonna you're gonna wonder, okay, what happened here? What did I miss? And you're looking for those clues. So mood can can pretty much be in anything. It can be in foreshadowing. It can be in in setting and description and dialogue. It can be anywhere. So you can just play with it however you want. Yeah, I also like um, messing with language. Like when you're writing fiction, it's so fun that you, knowing the I guess rules of grammar isn't necessary to write a good story but I know the rules of grammar pretty well I think and so it gives me a lot of room to just kind of change up the way my sentences are structured or change things up in a way that's not necessarily following the rule but kind of 
for me evokes a certain feeling that is just like it's just one word um, in its own paragraph by itself. And technically, you're not supposed to do that, but everybody does it because it means power. It's like focus on this word, and you're gonna feel whatever that word means. I I um I absolutely agree with that. What I love to do is to take a common phrase and juxtapose it. Like the word uh, sunrise, you've seen a million times and it doesn't mean anything. But when you read moonrise, it suddenly uh, gives a dreamlike quality to something that happens every single night. And I, I love that words can do that. Yeah, words are magic. So what are some examples in some of the stories you guys have read outside of your own work? that really create an interesting mood? Um, I was reading a book a couple of weeks ago, or like a week and a half ago, Salem's Vengeance by Aaron Galvin. It's really, really interesting. It's set in the 1700s. And so just by the merit of having that setting, it was a great mood, but then he really went the extra mile and her language was very much, like you could almost hear um, one of the girls in Salem, like if you watch any of any movies about Salem, it sounds like she's using that language and you could kind of hear her voice. And I think the voice of the author can really or the vo voice of the narrator can really affect the mood in a beautiful way. And the way that book was done, like I didn't I woke up and I wanted to read it. I went to bed and I wanted to read it like I didn't want to like let go of that voice. So I think that's that was really a really good use of a technique to create a mood that I just wanted to be in, even though it was kind of scary and creepy and made me mad sometimes. I just wanted to be in it. <laughs> I recently read a book. I did a review on it um, called Hood Witches. And <laughs> okay. um, it was an urban paranormal. Uh, and what I enjoyed about her writing, because I'm not really into urban fiction so much, but I was able to get into her novel because right from the very beginning with using the way her character spoke and how they reacted to certain situations, it really set the tone for the hood ratchet crazy magic that she promised. So, yeah. I know we're about to uh, move to the next segment, but there's a piece from Evelyn Waugh that is definitive for me. I'd like to quote it if possible. Before. I have been here before, I said, and I had been there before. First with Sebastian more than 20 years ago on a cloudless day in June when the ditches were creamy with meadow sweet and the air heavy with all the scents of summer. It was a day of peculiar splendor, and though I had been there so often in so many moods, it was to that first visit that my heart returned on this, my latest. That's one sentence. Wow. Jam-packed with power. Uh, it's a book called Brad's Head Revisited by Evelyn Waugh. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a very acclaimed book. His prose is ridiculous. Wow. Okay. Well, on that note, we're going to pause the discussion and talk some about Stella. So yeah. can you tell us a bit about your writing journey? What inspired you to become a writer? Um, well, I was 12 years old when 9-11 happened, and it happened literally a week 
before I was supposed to move to Japan. <laughs> so it was a very, very scary time. It was my first time being on an airplane and all of that stuff. And I just had a lot of really strong emotions that I didn't know how to express. And also being young and being in a new school and a new environment, I didn't have any friends. So I just started writing in my journal and making up these stories. And it just kind of took off from there. Um, so uh, from those short stories, I eventually um, decided I wanted to publish a novel. And that's was also a crazy experience because I brainstormed it with my older sister and I wrote it in like a month and I published it and it was not so great because <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's anything. It was definitely like just a first draft. I threw it on the paper. I didn't do any of the editing or anything that I was supposed to do with it. I was just really excited to finally have a book and be able to put something out there with my name on it. So um, granted, that's pretty much how I started. So you said that you didn't do much editing the first round. So now that you're more experienced, how has your writing process changed? Well, I'm a pantser, if you will. I'm very much a stream of consciousness writer. And um, one of the things that I struggled with was in writing my short stories, I always wrote in first person. And then when writing a novel, I was trying to write in third person. So I would have to, so now I know that I have to be extra sure that when I do my, when I get really into my writing, that I'm not switching between the two as I'm doing so. And I also do take more time to organize my scenes and my thoughts better instead of just writing it all in chronological order. So out of those experiences that you've learned, that you've um, gone through, what, what advice do you give to new writers out there? Basically, just do your research. Like, if you want to be serious about your writing, do your research on character building, on conflict and tone and mood and all of the stuff that we talked about today uh, in the discussion. And just be confident, but not overly confident. Because like I said, I was really excited to put out that first novel and I thought that I was doing good and doing great. And now I'm like, oh my God, like what did I do? Like this last year, in fact, I went back and redid the entire novel, my first novel and the second one, got new covers, got editing and all of the things I should have done from the beginning. So if you're a new author, definitely do your research, know what you need to do to put out a professional product 
um, regardless of if you're planning to traditionally publish or self-publish. That's definitely good advice in this era of rapid publishing that we're in, especially in the indie scene. Um, everybody just wants to really get something out there quickly and stay in the charts as long as possible, which promotes some people to do some work which they know is subpar. So what has your journey been like? Have you always been confident in your writing? Um, you said that you started writing at a really young age, like after 9-11. So what did that what did that journey look like? Did you did you see that you're sort of getting better? Did you study craft? So how did you how did you um, become a better writer? Well, in the beginning, I was just writing short stories for myself and I was very self-conscious about my work. I didn't let anyone read it. And um it just happened. I was riding on the bus one day and a friend of mine read what I wrote over my shoulder and she was like, oh, that's a really good, you know, story you're doing. And so that gave me a little bit of confidence and I let her read it and it just became a thing where I would write a new story a week and it would be circulated through the school. <laughs> and I got really confident about it but at the same time I wasn't really researching how to be a better writer at that point um it was just more gaining that confidence as an author and knowing that I had people who were interested in what I did um and it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized that yeah that work in middle and high school but if you want to be serious about writing you need to do your homework and <laughs> you know pick up a book on prose and editing and that sort of thing so I think one of the first books I got that were write craft related were the uh, the like emotion thesaurus, like character development kind of things. Um, it was like the negative trait thesaurus, the emotions thesaurus, and the positive trait thesaurus. And that was like kind of my gateway into the more serious, <laughs> um, like writing, write craft books and in finding you know, classes online and finding the writing community um, online. At that time, I used Scribeophile a lot um, to help me uh, perfect my stories and what I was doing. So do you want to tell us about one of your new releases? Uh, yeah. So my latest release is the first book in my second series entitled, the series is entitled Secret of Ceres. Um, and the book is Ferocious. And the idea for this particular series and for this novel was that as I've grown into my own as a person and as an author, it just really bugs me the, you know, lack of 
African American or even any nationality other than white in paranormal romance. And it's not just a problem in paranormal romance, but that's my genre. So that's what I'm sticking to. <laughs> um, and I decided my first series was like standard paranormal romance for what was popular at the time, you know, vampires, you know, the shirtless buff white guy on the cover. Um, but I really wanted to do something different. So this series is about a group of African-American magic users. And um, the during like the winch hunts in Europe, they cloistered themselves in their own little realm sanctuary. And the novel deals with um, the repercussions of that and how they're going to grow as um, a people uh, in, their, in the struggles that they go through within the novel. And Ferocious specifically is a detective novel about a missing teen and um, the two detectives come together um, in their search for her. Oh, I can't wait to read that. Where are you publishing? Well, like I said, I have my own publishing company. Been I've published through Ingram Spark, so it's on Amazon, it's on Barnes and Nobles. I'm working on getting it into um, indie bookstores and libraries. So when I'm hoping that happens, <laughs> but right now for sure you can get it on Amazon in print and ebook and I know for sure that it's on Barnes and Nobles in print. I have a, a question in three parts because I'm overly complicated. One, are you taking on new talent? Two, would they have to be romance? And three, why were you going to Japan? <laughs> One, no, I am not taking on new clients. I, right at the moment, I literally just started my company in December. So I'm like waiting in the water, just trying to keep my head up at this point, like figuring out the business aspect <laughs> of it. To if I when I do start accepting submissions, if I start accepting submissions, um, I would prefer to work with romance and paranormal romance because that's the genre that I know. And I don't. And while I can mentor other writers from a writing aspect, as far as publishing, that's my niche and my forte. So I'd feel much more comfortable with promoting an, an author in that particular genre. And um, I moved to Japan because my parents worked for the government and that's where they sent us. Cool. Anyone else with any questions for Stella? What made you decide to start a publishing company as opposed to being just un publishing just under your name or using the name of the, the aggregators? Basically because self-publishing is doing all of the same work without the control <laughs> over your work because it's like as a self-publisher you're doing your marketing you're doing making sure you're getting your editing your book covers all of the things that a normal publisher would do 
It's just when it comes down to whose name goes on it, like it's going to be Amazon or Ingram or draft a digital or whoever you choose to go through. And I know you can do it under your name, but um, I write under a pin name and I would have had to file as a business entity under my pin name. So I was like, why not just start a whole company? <laughs> uh, start your company like um, officially or are you a sole proprietor or did you like, actually do the legal paperwork no i am a registered llc with the state of washington and i my husband is a web developer so i left it open as serpentine creative um so that when he wants to do like contract work and stuff he can also fall under my banner so it was more of like a family move instead of just you know, oh, I just kind of want to do something fun and be legit about it. Yeah. Is that why you decided to go LLC? Because you're both in business, in creative business? Yes. Okay. Very cool. And you said you just started in December? Yes. What's it been like, like, since starting? Um, you Is your life changed by being a business owner? Drastically. Like, I wasn't prepared for how much <laughs> it was it came down to because since I don't know if it just gave me that motivation because I had that extra layer of legitimacy because I know imposter syndrome is a really big deal for a lot of authors specifically self-published authors and in having my own company I can now say well I'm not just self-published but I'm a publisher you know, and that gives me that extra layer of legitimacy. So I feel more confident in putting myself out there and putting my work out there. And it's brought a lot of opportunities already that I didn't even think to consider before. Do you have any tips or tricks for anyone who's just starting out like you, like you are with the, the publishing company and everything? Like any other business? make sure you have a solid business plan because publishing is not an easy business. It's not the most lucrative business and your, your profits are most likely not going to come from your book sales and royalties. It's going to be from your services and side projects that fall within the same realm. So that's why, you know, I have a YouTube page and I'm on Instagram and all the social media to get my name and my face out there and um, and to provide services other than just putting my books out there. Uh, so if you're starting out, just know that publishing isn't just about, oh, here, put a book out. It's, you know, make sure that you're representing yourself as a business and a brand and that it's a very clear concise vision as to not confuse your consumers thanks that is all very excellent advice and if anyone's listening you should probably rewind and take some notes because she just dropped a few bars of gold for you guys <laughs> so i just wanted to move back into the discussion and we we're talking about mood to refresh everyone's memory. So how do you guys know that your mood is effective? 
The only way I know is if someone reads it and tells me, honestly. <laughs> like when I'm writing, I don't know until someone reads it and it's like, oh, I felt this. And I'm like, cool, it worked. I am very fortunate in that my wife is my alpha reader. Uh, I used to ask questions and um, she gave me terrible answers. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, did you like that? No, I didn't like it. Why? I don't know. Well, that doesn't help me at all. Thank you. What I started doing was I would just physically watch her read and I would watch her body and I would watch her facial expressions and that told me everything I need to know. The eyebrows, the, the, the smirk, the horrified expressions because I write some dark stuff. And um, <laughs> there are times where she like physically recoils from the paper and I'm like, yes, nailed it. You deviant mind. <laughs> um. Like I said earlier, I only really write whatever mood that I'm in. So I feel like that helps me a lot in conveying it on the page. Because if I'm feeling sad, it'll be a lot easier for me to convey that in a very clear and emotional way. And my sisters are my beta readers. Uh, so I can always just like quickly send them like one chapter or two if I'm unsure about how something feels and they're very quick about getting back to me and making sure that, you know, I'm not just going left field with things. Hmm. I used to think I had a pretty good handle of understanding what mood I was creating while I was steeped in my own writing. And that's a big mistake because you already know... <laughs> You already know what you want the story to be like. It's in your head. It's perfectly crafted. And your only job is to get it down on the paper. But there's a few gaps. You're going to miss some things. It's not going to be perfect the way it is in your mind. So the only way I personally know if I'm doing it correctly is if I just give my work some room to breathe. Come back maybe a couple days later and reread it. And it's a little bit more fresh in my mind. And if I don't react the way that I wanted it to be, if I don't get that gut emotion, then I know I'm not, I'm not tugging those strings the right way. And I need to play with the pros a bit. I do have a question before we move on. How do you determine what the problem is? There have been times where, you know, you write a scene, it doesn't quite work, and you can't figure out why. Like, what is your process for breaking that down? Hire an editor. <laughs> I am a fierce outliner so it's all documented the way it's supposed to be there's bullet points there's bullet points to the bullet points so if I look through my outline and it's not lining up with the story I know that I probably deviated too far and I got away from my structure because I structure within my outline it's not just like oh I want all these things to happen there's a, a very strict structure there and if I deviate too much, then I know that, oh, I might have missed a sequence or a beat and I need to go back in and fill it in and then go adjust my outline because the outline is sacred. <laughs> and it's perfect. Um, I, my stories are very character driven and I do lots of multiple point of views. And so that means a lot of times if I just feel like something's off and I can't, uh, 
figure it out, I'll just take that scene and write it from a different character's point of view, if that's possible. Um, wow. And that way I can see, because obviously if two different characters are going to see things in completely different ways. So if, and then I, from there, I choose which one feels better. And if I need to jump into yet another character's head, I'll do so. You just blew my mind. I <laughs> I feel like I calculate too much in my writing to to have that freeness to just get stuff wrong and keep trying and keep trying. I want to get it right the first time. I think I might have a little streak of perfectionism in me. <laughs> um, but yeah, you just my mind is is blown just thinking about <laughs> the trial and error <laughs> of it all. It's just it's pretty amazing to understand other people's processes. <laughs> I do think what is um, not explored enough and it is priceless advice is to treat creativity like a fluid and not like a solid, not something that you can cut and shape and hammer into whatever hole you're happen to trying to fill. So I, I, I do a rough outline. Like um, I outlined this book. This book turned out to be 500 pages. The outline had 26 bullet points. Mm. So, you know, it's a real loose outline. <laughs> but um, when I sit down to write, I can jump around the book and write the part I'm in the mood for. I can write the big action scene, or I can write the romantic scene, or I can write the breakup, or I can write the death of a character based on where I am, rather than trying to be, you know, it's like, oh, well, my cat just died and we lost grandma, but I need to write this birthday party. You know, I can I can jump around and and harmonize my emotions with my uh, with my work rather than trying to bend myself into whatever shape happens to be next in the paragraph or in, in the uh, in the process in the chapters and I don't think enough people are sharing that information I think people are just really trying to write chronologically regardless of their state of mind yeah I can't jump around like that like it it's just too much I think I have a similar kind of perfectionist streak to Tanja where it's like I have to get this part I have to write this story out in the way that it's gonna play out otherwise my brain is gonna mess things up but that's not true if it's in two different times and I do do that sometimes where it's like I'll have part of the book in present day and the other part like a hundred years ago then I can kind of do all the parts that are in that in one time even though they're in different parts in the book. So I guess it's possible, but other, like if it's in the same story, the same timeline, it's really confusing. Like I'm amazed by people who can do that and like jump ahead in this life, but you didn't even write that other scene that this scene depends on. How are you doing that? We're well, gonna miss all the details. Like how are you doing that? Um, for me, I write, I write like Alex does where it's however I feel I write that scene that corresponds with it but and how I organize it and make sure I'm not missing too many details is when I write each scene I have um I use Scrivener yeah and so in Scrivener if when I and whenever I start a project I automatically start it with 10 folders each folder has five scenes so mm. And each scene, I try and push roughly a thousand words. So 
that's the only outline, like no plot details, nothing. That's just it. So then I go into Word and I do my stream of consciousness for a scene. And then I import or yeah, I import it into Scrivener and there I can move it around and see where it fits. But once it's there, you know, it's still like an outline, but it's a working outline. Mm-hmm. So if I decide a scene doesn't fit, I can easily move it around within the story. Or as since I like to write series, sometimes I'll write a scene and it won't even be for that book. It'll be like for like mm. two books down. Mm. Wow. So, but it's, there's still that outline there's that structure on the one side, but I don't let it affect my creativity as far as how I write and my stream of consciousness. That's just kind of amazing to me. I used to be, I used to think I was a pantser, but I never finished anything. I can still kind of pant short stories, but with novels, I have to outline or I'm just, I know I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to finish it. I'm going to write like half of it and then be like, I think I want to write a different book. And I (laughs) see myself. But that's okay. You go to that book and then you come back to the other one. Yeah, I've already got like a list of 20 books I plan to write. So I need to maybe calm down. (laughs) (laughs) My list is over 100, so I got my work cut out for me. Okay. Yeah. That's a topic for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, we are out of time. So I'm going to give the audience some homework, and it's really simple this week. Just take one paragraph from your work in progress and write it with a different mood than the one that you've set. And see how those compare with each other side by side. And how you can play around with mood with different aspects of craft elements in writing. That's all we got for you guys today. This has been Voices of Color. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Stella, for joining us. Bye. 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 If you liked the episode, please like and subscribe to the Voices of Color writing podcast. You can leave us comments on our website, thevoicesofcolor.com, or on our Facebook page by the same name. We love hearing from our listeners. Thank you.